Let's pray together. Father, we turn to you for strength. We have had a busy weekend, and now we find ourselves this new, beautiful spring day, seated together with our church family, our Bibles open on our laps, and we just ask for you to accomplish your purposes. Use your word to challenge us, to strengthen us, to teach us. Help us to have humble, receptive hearts, ears to hear, hearts that are willing to go and live it out, recognizing that your Bible is not just a study book, but it's a, it's a map for life. It's a guidebook. Father, thank you for the way you work among us during these times. We acknowledge our need for you and our desire to be conforming to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Take your word as a chisel and a hammer and work on us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the, the words flow off our lips pretty easily, don't they? You know those words, right? Um, in the next three weeks, I'm going to lose 20 pounds. Eh? I'm going to get up an hour early to exercise and read my Bible and pray. Uh, I'm going to clean my garage and keep it clean. Words. Words are so easy to say, aren't they? And we have the best of intentions. This morning, as we look at the golden rule, I want you to see that this is more than words. These words are so easy to say. They're very familiar words. We find it, our text this morning, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7. And I invite you to turn there. And it's verse 12. And um, we remind ourselves that this is a, an extensive teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ in Galilee. And uh, the disciples have gathered nearby. The crowds have gathered. There are Pharisees among them. And Jesus is teaching. And uh, he's been teaching that... Uh, incredible passage that challenged us about when we judge someone, we have to be very careful. This is the beginning of chapter 7. Make sure you get the log out of your own eye before you go after a splinter in someone else's eye. And the whole aspect of pointing out other people's flaws and what do I do with that in light of my own life and my issues. And, and then he moves on into the passage about our Heavenly Father being willing to give us good things if we would just ask. Comparing our Heavenly Father from the lesser to the greater, the lesser being earthly fathers who in their base sinful heart condition as mere men, if they know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more in a greater way would our Heavenly Father respond to His children? And, and He's teaching along and, and then verse 12 is next and He just says, So whatever you wish... That others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. And what does that mean? I want us to just think about a couple things in understanding the passage before we enter into the balance of our message this morning. Because at first glance, it seems like this golden rule, this verse 12... So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. It seems like it just came out of nowhere. But one of the things that is a clue to us is in the ESV, it uses the word so. 
In the King James, in the New American Standard, unlike the ESV or the NIV, instead of using the word so, which is a connecting word, a, a word of continuation, in other words, I've been teaching you and you're gathering this information, so do this. The word in the King James and the New American Standard is the word therefore. Because of all that I've been teaching you, therefore... Whatever you would have others do to you, do also to them. So one of the things you need to understand is that this verse is not just stuck in here. It didn't just come out of thin air as, the Lord, as our Lord Jesus was teaching. But as he's teaching this very challenging message that we've entitled the Sermon on the Mount, we recognize that he's been saying a lot of difficult things. He's been saying some very challenging things and teaching some things that just raise the bar in our lives. I mean, back in chapter five, he was talking about um, how you're, we're to love our enemies and, and we're to be kind to those who despitefully use us. Come on, you're kidding me. And, and he's been going on and teaching. He's talking about when you judge, make sure you get the log out of your own eye, as we just referenced, and until you go for a splinter. And then when you realize, okay, so because of all these things I've been asking you to do, one of the things we need to understand is that this is, this is a verse that fits the context. That's the first key word. He fits the context in that he's using as an example here, even our Heavenly Father in response to prayer, that even more than an earthly father will give gifts to his children, our Heavenly Father will respond to our requests and give good gifts. And he wants to give us what is best and we're to reflect his character so we in turn would do to others what we would have them do to us and so it is a relational teaching here and it's and it fits the theme and the thread of all that's been going on so the first thing recognize the context this golden rule doesn't just stand alone it actually fits and if you have it in mind as you read the text you'll realize that all of these things Jesus has been teaching They're not just for us to stick in our head and to learn, but it's to be lived out. And these things that he's been teaching, we are to, we are to live them out towards other people as we would have them live them out towards us. The second thing I want you to recognize as we see this verse here is recognizing not only that it's in a context of a sermon and a continuation of teaching, but recognize the audience. All right. So, so this is a first century Galilean countryside audience. His disciples have gathered the closest, no doubt. Um, then there's the, the masses of the public who have come and the people who have come to hear Jesus teach. And then embedded in the audience, or as we've sometimes pictured them like some kind of coyotes, uh, slinking around the outside of the audience are these Pharisees ever on the prowl, ever watching the Lord Jesus, ever listening for something that they can attack Him with. And every once in a while, you recognize that in the message, Jesus comes up with almost like zingers to the Pharisees. And, and he has done that already a couple different times. I mean, in there, he, he talks about extensively in chapter 5, remember the sequence of teaching where our Lord said, now you have heard it said. Well, who is that? That was the religious teachers. You have heard it said by the Pharisees, goes unspoken, 
by these hypocritical religious leaders. You have heard it said. And then Jesus says, but I say to you, in so doing, it's a poke in the Pharisee's eye as he trumps their teaching, as he puts himself in an elevated position of authority over these religious leaders. They don't like that. And you can see this and feel it come through in the message He even said one time to the whole audience, he said, and if your righteousness doesn't exceed the righteousness of these Pharisees, you can almost see him pointing them out. If your righteousness doesn't exceed the righteousness of these Pharisees, well, they thought they were incredibly righteous. They they were confident that they were righteous in God's eyes. In fact, they were so confident of it that remember when Jesus was teaching on prayer and fasting and giving of alms? They wanted everybody to know how righteous they were. And then Jesus once again would send out those zingers and talk about the fact that their reward was done. That was it. A little bit of jingling change in the offering plate of the temple and people going, ooh, look how much money he gave. That's all the reward they got because of their pride, their arrogance, and their duplicity and hypocrisy. And so I think not only does this golden rule verse of verse 12, not only is it linked in with a connecting word, so therefore, because of everything I've been teaching you, implement it now and live it out towards other people as you would have it live towards you. It's also, I think, another poke in the eye to the Pharisees at some level. Because... They, of all people, in their religious hypocrisy and self-righteousness, continually expected things of other people that they didn't give out themselves. They thought that they were above, and they thought other people ought to do things that they didn't have to do. We'll see that again in the story that Pastor Everett read in Luke 10 when we visited in a minute. The priest and the Levite, in their religious hypocrisy, didn't think they had to get down off their mule and help that guy. Other people can do that. And here Jesus is, poking away at their false righteousness again. Say, look, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. You know, I think we ought to take just a minute and try to get this down. It's in the ESV. Some of us memorized it in different phrases. So listen closely, and we're going to repeat this, okay? So here's the golden rule. Whatever you wish that others would do to you. Let's just get that. Listen to that again. Whatever you wish that others would do to you. Okay, let's say that. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Okay, say, do also to them. Here we go. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. All right? What I want to do for our message today is is I want to just post a running list of the ramifications of this rule. It is far from being a conclusive message. But what I want you to see is how easily this rolls off the lips, but how permeating it would be in our lives if we were to live it out. And so I'm going to make a list, and I also want you to recognize that that this is somewhat of a paraphrase. It's, it's part and a restatement of a repeated teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. Repeatedly, can you hear in your ear, our Lord repeatedly in the Gospels would say what? When, he, when asked what is the greatest commandment, he would always say what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And then he would add on, and love your neighbor as yourself... 
And this wraps up the law and the prophets. He said that three or four different times. And so you, when you read this, that has become known as the golden rule, let's say it again. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Isn't that, doesn't that make you think, love my neighbor as myself? I want to love my neighbor the way I want my neighbor to love me in return. Whatever you would have others do to you, do in return. And, and it's, it's in the same family there. It's, it's the same kind of saying. And, but here, he only uses the second part of that repeated phrase. He didn't talk about love the Lord your God with all your heart. He just said, love your neighbor as yourself by whatever you would have them do to you, you do to them. That's how you love your neighbor as yourself. And you can see the, the give and take of it. Interestingly enough, he adds that phrase at the end of verse 12, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, what does that mean? He said, wait a minute. When Jesus was asked to sum up the totality of the teaching of essentially the Old Testament, okay, the law given under Moses, amplified and lived out under the prophets, when you put that together, how do I encapsulate that in one phrase? And he would say, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. Or, here he says, because he said it repeatedly when he said, love your neighbor as yourself, and this fulfills the law, this is the completion of the law, this is how you summarize and live out the law in a nutshell. He says the same thing here. Whatever you would have wish others would do to you, do also to them, and this encapsulates the entire law. So on this string of list I'm going to give you of the ramifications of the golden rule on our Christian lives, how are we to think and live out this rule? The ramifications of the golden rule on my Christian life, the first thing that I want you to see comes right from verse 12, and it is that the golden rule is the key to theological continuity. The golden rule is the key to a theological continuity of our Bibles. Here's what I mean by that. If you're to turn to Exodus chapter 20, for example, and where Jesus said, this sums up the law. When you think of the law, don't you think of the law of Moses or the Ten Commandments as they were given? And you know that the Ten Commandments breaks down into the first half of the list. is It's vertical. It's, it's related to how we are to think of our relationship with God directly. That is, have no other gods before me. Don't use my name in vain. Don't make any false images or false representation. In other words, God said, I'm a holy God, and it really matters how you think of me. And that's the first part of the list. And then when you look at the second part of the list, beginning with verse 12 in Exodus 20, it's a, vertic- it's a, it's a horizontal or lateral relational list. That is, how to get along with one another. And he begins in verse 12 with, honor your father and your mother. And then he starts into that part is the way people think of the law. It's really a negative thing. I think that many people, when they think about the law and the Old Testament law, they think it's really negative. I'm really a New Testament kind of person. I'm not an Old Testament kind of person. Well, what you see, even though it's couched in the negative... That when Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, the golden rule, it's positive. 
whatever you would wish others would do to you, do also to them. This summarizes the law. Well, that's positive. Then the law must be positive, even though it's phrased in the negative. So here's how we would understand this. Thou shalt not murder, right? You shall not murder. That's negative. Don't murder. But don't you think not killing, getting killed by your neighbor is a really positive thing? So it's couched in the negative, but it's a really positive thing. Don't you think it works really well that we don't kill each other around here? I think that's very positive. I'm really appreciative of that. How about you shall not commit adultery? No, 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 no. See all that? Don't do this. Don't do that. Yeah, let's have a testimony about how well the adulterating part of someone's life worked out well for them. Yeah, I really enhanced the quality of my life. I got involved in adultery. It's so positive. No, when Jesus or when God gave the commandments to Moses and said, no, it was positive. It wasn't negative. It was building fences so that we would be safe. So when I think about it, I think, well, I don't want my neighbor crawling over my fence and coming into my bedroom when I'm not home and I'm not going in over his fence in his bedroom. And that's what the golden rule says. Whatever you would wish others would do to you, do also to them. And this summarizes the law. Thou shalt not commit adultery. He goes on to say, you shall not steal. I don't go out in my shed. I go out in my shed. What happened to my rototiller? Man, it's time to put the garden in. So your neighbor took it and he sold it on eBay. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. It's like, get out of my shed, leave my stuff alone. It's a very positive thing that my neighbor doesn't steal off of me and I don't steal off my neighbor. That's not negative. That's very positive. This is my domain, domain space. You stay out of my domain. We'll get along just fine. And in fact, the way I want you to treat me, that's how I'm going to treat you. I'm not going to steal your stuff. You don't steal my stuff. I don't come on your property after dark. You don't come on my property after dark. You don't come get my bass boat out of the garage without, I don't have one, but it come out without permission. I'm not going to take your stuff without permission. It's like, this is a very positive thing. And so when we get to the New Testament and on it goes, you shall not bear false witness. Don't, I won't lie to you. You don't lie to me. I can trust you. You can trust me. This is all positive. And so let's say it together. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. That's not negative. That's positive. And so Jesus says, you want to sum up the law? You want to sum up all the fences and all the rules and the regulations that I gave you? And, and particularly the moral law, not so much the ceremonial law that was given, but the moral law of God that was given? But even community rules that were given in Deuteronomy and Leviticus... I mean, it's spelled out in detail and people bog down in their read through the Bible plan when they get there because it gets all these lists, you know. The thing's like, what do I care about the fact that if my ox gets loose, I don't have an ox. And if my ox gets loose and it's over on my neighbor's property or my neighbor's ox gets loose and comes on my property, I don't get to kill it and put it in the freezer. I'm supposed to put a rope around his neck and take it back and give it back. And he tells me that in the... Well, that's what Jesus was teaching in the New Testament. He just didn't give the list. He said, look, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. If your ox gets loose, 
You want your neighbor to bring it back. And if your neighbor's ox gets loose, take it back. And we all get along really immensely well. And this is a very positive thing. And so you see this permeation throughout Scripture of how as God gave the law. Now, there is a negative sense of the law. Don't get me wrong. In a, in a sense of our salvation, one reason that the law was given is to show us that we can't ultimately keep the law, right? You got that? I mean, this is, this is the straight edge of the law, isn't it? This is like, okay, if you want to get to heaven, you don't get there on roller skates, you get there by keeping the law. And it's like putting up a straight edge and then bringing some crooked two by four that look kind of straight, but when you put it up against the straight edge, you realize how crooked it is. I mean, it's the standard. And when you realize, no matter what I do, I'm just crooked, I'm just messed up. But the law is there and it, and it convicts. And it shows me that I'm not good enough to get into heaven. And that's the beauty of a relationship with God through Christ. That Christ did keep the law. That, and then not only did He keep the law, but He kept it for us. And in God's eyes, when we enter into salvation through Christ, God thinks of us as though we kept the law. That's pretty good. That was the understatement of the morning, by the way. <laughs> that that's pretty good. I mean, when it's straight and some, you, unless if it weren't there, you wouldn't recognize your own sinfulness. I mean, this is me shaving in the morning without my shirt on. Don't picture that too much. <laughs> you know, kind of like, ah, looking pretty good. Yeah, look, looking pretty good. Go up to the gym and start working out and realize I don't even belong. All these guys up there, man. When you're by yourself... You can imagine yourself to be whoever you want to be. When you're by yourself, you can tell yourself, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Put yourself up against the law and you realize what a tangled, crooked up slime dog you are. And that's what it is. So we think sometimes of the law as being negative, but the law is not negative. The law is positive. It serves us as a schoolmaster. And ultimately, Christ fulfilled the law for us. And he, he is our law. The first thing we learn from the golden rule, right out of Matthew seven twelve, is that it is, it is a key to understanding this continuity of how the law fits into the Scripture. And that we fulfill it in a very positive way. I want us now to look at these other places where our Lord taught... This, this concept of if you want to fulfill the law, love your neighbor as yourself. And then this fulfills the law. And the first one I want to go to is Luke chapter 10 that Pastor Everett read in our scripture reading this morning. And so flip over there, if you will, to that familiar passage of the story of the Good Samaritan. We'll not reread it, but you understand. And I want you to see when we read this story, how the golden rule I'm referring to Matthew 7, 12 as the golden rule, as you well know, that whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. That as we see it in this passage, the guy asks a question. Look at verse 25 and just remind ourselves here. This lawyer stands up. He, he wants to know, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, well, what's written in the law? And he says, how do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself, or whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. 
And that guy had quoted that back to Jesus. That was from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Leviticus chapter 19. And the guy says, Jesus says to the guy, well, that's correct. He said, you have answered correctly. Do it and you will live. The guy comes back and he says, wanting to know who his neighbor is. And that's when Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And so when he starts telling the story of the Good Samaritan, we realize that the golden rule, and we're going to add this to our list now. Remember, I said we're just kind of a running list of interfacing with the golden rule and stirring our thoughts with it. Number one, it's the key to theological continuity and understanding how the law is not negative, but it's positive as it's threaded throughout Scripture. Number two, I want you to see from this story where Jesus is teaching essentially the golden rule that, that it is the driving force for social responsibility. It is the driving force for social responsibility. I mean, we live in a big world. And I interface and I interact with the world and I, you know, what do I need to care about other people for? And Jesus is teaching here that I need to love my neighbor as myself or I need to look at my fellow man as whatever I would want them to do to me, I will do to them. And we realize that that becomes a driving force for social responsibility. Thirdly, as we look at the story here, you'll recognize that it provides a needed moral clarity for daily living. It provides a needed moral clarity for daily living. What am I talking about here? Okay, so let's go to the story. The guy gets beat up, left for dead. You know the story well. He's robbed, he's beaten, he's bloody, he's naked. And then along comes the priest. And the priest is riding along and he just gets on the other side of the road and passes the guy by. Question... Is he loving his neighbor as himself? Yes or no, class? No, no, no. Question. If the priest were beaten bloody and left for dead on the side of the road, do you think that he wishes somebody would get off their donkey and take care of him? So is he living up to the golden rule? No, no, no. So... He's ignoring the golden rule, which makes him oblivious to any social responsibility. Why should I care about those people? I don't know them. The reason I should care about those people that I don't know on the other side of the world is because whatever I wish people would do for me, I do for them. On the third point, this moral clarity, all the guy has to ask himself when he's coming along. Okay, so he's, let's, let's, Let's give the guy the benefit of the doubt. The priest. He's a busy guy. Got a lot of responsibilities. People, places, responsibility. So he's going along. He's like, okay, beaten, bloody, beat down, broken guy. Computes. Got it. And then he goes to his moral warehouse inside his mind, in his conscience. And his computer starts to run at a high speed and he's looking at the shelving of his moral warehouse, looking for what he's placed on his shelves all his life in making his conscience sense. Do I have anything in my moral warehouse on the shelf that tells me I have a social responsibility or duty to this guy? And he's like, see, I got to get back. I got responsibility. I got to teach tomorrow. I got evening prayers. I got the interns waiting for me. I got the staff that I got to get ready for. My, we got the big worship feast coming up. We got the holy holiday coming. I'm not ready for any of that stuff. And on top of that, my wife said, I'm late. So he shuts it down and he does not clear the fog of indecisiveness by processing the golden rule. If I'm going by and say, okay, beaten, broken, bloody, battered, 
it provides moral clarity for me when I think, hmm, if that were me or I, if that were, if that were I, Janet said it's I, so it's I. If that were I, I am on the side of the road. Me isn't on the side of the road. If that were I, you sure it's right? If that were I, would I want someone to get off their mule and help me? Yes. Therefore, I have cleared the moral fog in my life for decision making. You see? Now, parentheses. Your mind needs to be working right now. It's got to be working at a couple different levels. Because right about here, and as I was developing this message, I was thinking to myself, uh-oh, we got a real issue. I no longer have a life. I get in my car, I leave church, and I look at the trash along Daniel Road, and I think to myself, I should get out and pick up the trash. If that were my property, wouldn't I want somebody to pick up the trash? And then I go a little bit farther, and I make it to Cracker Barrel, and, I, and there's a long waiting list, and I think, well, if... if if other people are waiting for the list, I should put them first because if I were waiting for the list, I would want them to put me first, so I've got to put them first. And then I realize, then I go out in the parking lot and there's this guy down by the light with a cardboard sign that says he's a veteran and he's homeless and he needs some money. And it's like, okay, well, if I were that guy, I would want somebody to give me money. And so now it's 6 o'clock and I haven't made it home yet because I'm still picking up trash. All right? So then I got to thinking, there's probably at least three more messages to clarify. Well, what is my moral duty? What, how do I find moral clarity? If, if the standard for moral clarity and social responsibility is love your neighbor as yourself, and the idea there is, is that when, whatever I wish that others would do to me, that I would do to them, I now have created a complicated mess out of my life. I, I, I don't get to work. Well, don't fear. I'm not going to preach those three messages and I don't know how to resolve it and it's your problem. (laughs) I don't know how to solve that problem. All I know is that when you're riding down the road and the guy's beaten and bloody, that you will find moral clarity through the golden rule. You'll know what to do. You'll know exactly what to do. Get off your donkey and help him. The fourth thing that we see in the story is that it cuts through the fog of racial bigotry. The golden rule cuts through the fog of racial bigotry. Look at verse 33. The priest does the same thing as the... The Levite does the same thing as the priest. He's like the assistant priest. But verse 33 says, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Why did he have compassion? Because he thought to himself, Do I have any social responsibility here? I wonder how to find moral clarity in this situation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. But, problem. I don't like this guy. So it's implicit in the story that the guy beaten and broken and battered on the side of the road that needs help is a Jew, and that the priest and Levite who were Jews didn't come and help him, didn't stop and help But a Samaritan, okay, a Samaritan is a half-breed. A Samaritan was mixed race of Gentile and Jew. They were not well-received. Think Palestinian-Israeli. Think, get off my property or I'll kill you, man. It's just, don't like those people. But the golden rule kicks in on me. So now I have this issue. 
Now I don't look at the guy by his lips, the shape of his lips, the shape of his nose, the shape of his cheekbones, the slant of his eyes, the color pigment of his skin. I don't make any decisions based on that. I make decisions based on one moral principle. That Jesus looked at me and said, you're to do number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And secondly, you're to love your neighbor as yourself. And when you love your neighbor as yourself, this is how it works. Whatever you would have them do unto you, you do unto them. And so you fulfill the law. And so it cuts through the fog of racial bigotry. And we see then the intrinsic value of all people based on the golden rule. Number five, it helps me define my personal responsibility. Uh, In the parentheses part that I was talking about, it is hard to know, well, what is my personal responsibility? When we look at this story and it breaks down, the Samaritan came, he saw, he had compassion. Verse 34, he went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, set him on his own animal, took him to the inn, took care of him, spent the night nursing him. The next day he's still there. He takes money out of his pocket, verse 35. He gives instruction to the innkeeper, verse 35. He gets a line of credit open with the innkeeper and promises to repay, giving him a promissory note. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? There's only one answer, and it was the one who showed mercy. And then Jesus says, go and do likewise. It's pretty easy to understand, isn't it? And so, when I'm, when I'm looking out and I see my neighbor in need, Uh, I'm looking out and I think, my neighbor needs help over there cutting his wood. Do I have a responsibility to do that? How do I define my personal responsibility? The golden rule kicks in. If you are in need, I'm eating supper and I look across and my neighbor's got his hood up and he's working on his car and I realize that he's got issues and... But I'm tired. I've spent a busy day. What is my responsibility here? This helps me define my responsibility. If that were me or I, I would want him to come ask me, Hey, Cenk, you got a ride to work in the morning? I can get you there. You see? So we're stringing together a list of just thinking and interacting with this golden rule. Let's say it together again really quick. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. We've realized through Christ's teaching that it's the key to a theological continuity relating the Old Testament and the New Testament and bringing it together in a positive teaching. We recognize through the teaching in Luke 10 where he teaches essentially the same golden rule that it is a driving force in my life for social responsibility. It assists me with moral clarity, cuts through racial bigotry, Defines my personal responsibility. There's some other teachings that we could go to. Let's. Number six is it is at the heart of relational unity. It is at the heart, the golden rule is at the heart of relational unity. Go to Philippians chapter two. There are a lot of passages on this, okay? So we're leaving Luke 10 behind. And we're recognizing that as the Apostle Paul writes the New Testament, That in the epistles and his instruction to the church, he gives essentially the teaching of the golden rule as as the defining characteristic for how we're to maintain unity. 
So think about it. If I'm looking at you and you're looking at me and I'm thinking about you, what I wish they would do to me is what I want to do to them. And they're looking at me saying, what I wish you would do for me, I want to do for you. Do we get along pretty well then? Yeah. You need to have something else going through your mind right now. If you're honest with yourself, going through your mind right now should be by about now, I'm really not good at the golden rule. Have you had that thought yet? I, I really have a hard time caring about that guy. But we can bring it in closer to home. I mean, there's needs all around us and people and even in a... Listen, do we live in a world that's filled with relational issues? I mean, I mean think, think Iran and nuclear issues. Think Bibi and Obama. We got relational issues, man. I mean, just everywhere you look, there's relational issues. Divorce court. Criminal justice system. Filled with relational issues. And then Jesus comes along and says, here's, here's your guiding moral compass principle. Whatever you would have others do to you, you do to them. And now all of a sudden, we have a relational fix. Parentheses on this point, you could change the word relational to congregational. It is at the heart of congregational unity as well. Let's read Philippians chapter 2. Look what he says. And this is the Apostle Paul, taught personally by Jesus in a vision in the wilderness, before his public ministry started, before Paul was set loose. He was personally trained in a, in a most incredible way. Do nothing, verse 3, from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Is that not the golden rule? That is just a remake of the golden rule. Consider others to be more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Remember, I said there's something else needing to be going through your head. And about this time in my preparation of my message, I, I had the thought, literally had the thought, I should probably call Shupi and have him preach this message because I, I can't preach this message. I am lousy at this. I just don't do well caring about other people. I mean, I try... But can you relate to me that the most important person in your life is you? Me? That when I look on the inside of me, that I find a very selfish, self-preserving, self-seeking individual? And that even to those who are closest to me, I really like it when you go my way. It's very difficult to love your neighbor as yourself. That means, as I have said many, many times, that if your neighbor has a $20 bill that you wanted and you didn't get it, you are just as happy that they got it that you didn't. That means you love your neighbor as yourself. That whatever you wish people would do to you, you do to them. So I give him a $20 bill, I'm going to give you a $20 bill going out the door because I wish you would give me a $20 bill. I'm not going to give you a $20 bill going out the door. I love it when you do it, I'm not going to do it. You understand what I'm saying about when I open up and look on the inside, what's really there? So this needs to be cranking the motor now. And, it, and then I decided, Shoopy's no more qualified to preach this message than I am. And then it begs the question, 
How do I live out the golden rule? I can't do this. To live every day, to permeate the areas of my life that whatever I would have you do to me, I'll do to you. I I upset Janet with my illustration in the first service and I didn't mean to upset her, but I guess it hurt her feelings. But I'm working on this message, you know, and it's men's retreat. And all week long, I've been thinking about what a slug I am when it comes to loving my neighbor as myself. And when it comes to whatever I would have you do to me, I'll do to you and how much I don't do that. And I'm thinking, what, how does this work? What does this look like? And I'm meditating on it all week long. And then men's retreat comes, and it was a good time. It was very encouraging, and we just had a great time. And uh, I needed some of what I heard, and it was just a joy to be with the brothers here. And, and then it's Saturday night, all right? Listen, on Saturday night, don't mess with me, all right? I got to preach Sunday morning. It's been a busy week. I'm still, it's still cooking, And I just want to go to my dungeon desk. I want to bench press. I want to pray. I want to study. I want to get some sleep. So leave me alone. And I knew it was going to be a hard week. And Janet says to me early in the week, Hey, Johnny's going to be gone to that concert. Let's go on a date Saturday night. And I owed her a date. I owed her a date. The date didn't have odor. I owed her a date. It was a good odor. I had given her for Valentine's a, a restaurant gift card and an evening out in the car. Yo, hey, let's get, we'll go an evening out when we have time, blah, blah, blah. So early in the week, she says, let's do it Saturday night. So yeah, baby, that's great. That's great. I'm, inside, I'm thinking, oh. <laughs> it's men's retreat. I was over here playing basketball till 1 a.m. Then I take the speaker and, his, and the song leader home and we sit on my living room floor and talk till after 1.30. I go to bed, get four or five hours of sleep, come back. Tired. Still working on my message Saturday night. Don't have time for this. Going on my date. You see why I hurt her feelings. No, this is my point. I was thinking that she should be thinking, babe, you've had the men's retreat. It's rough. Why don't you just go to the dungeon, get your message wrapped up, bench press a little bit, eat a bowl of cereal, get some sleep. Just calm down, calm down. I'm thinking that's what she should think towards me. She's thinking, that sorry dog hasn't taken me out for months and is, owes me a, owes me a, and so whatever I would do, and she's thinking, I would take him out. So whatever I would have him do to me, I'll do to him. Well, I'll take him out. We'll go out. So that's a good thing. It was a good thing to go out. I, I had to click off part of my brain and I just, it all, it's good. It's good. And I didn't mean to hurt your feelings at all. I, I, it's way too late for all that, but... What I wanted to show you, I'm trying simply to get us to relate to the reality of how stinking selfish we really are. And that when I can fluently flow from my lips that whatever I would have others do to me, I will do to them, is really, really hard to live out. There's a reason, and let's conclude with just a few minutes from Matthew chapter 19, where Jesus teaches this concept one more time. In Matthew chapter 19, also a very familiar passage of Scripture. This is the story of the rich young ruler. Okay, so number six, if you are keeping notes and you care about it, is that this golden rule is at the heart of 
relational or congregational unity, Philippians 2, 3 through 4. It's the key to forgiveness in the church. It's the key to reconciliation in relationships. It's the key to restoration. It's the key to living out kindness as God our Heavenly Father shows His kindness to us that whatever you would wish that others would do to you, you do to them. It's just the key to all this. It just unfolds. But I also want you to see in Matthew 19, concerning what I've been talking about, what we find when we open up and look on the inside, is that, number seven, this golden rule is the litmus test of spiritual integrity or spiritual authenticity. The golden rule is the litmus test of spiritual integrity. Let's very quickly just grab this concept because it, it goes to the heart of a universal reality in us. Matthew chapter 19 And this is where, in verse 16, verse 16, remember this young man comes up to Jesus and he says, Teacher, what good deeds must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus said, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. This is the heart of the matter. This is the litmus test. This guy comes running up to Jesus, skidding down on his knees in front of him. Got just the right guy to ask just the right question. What do I have to do to have eternal life? Jesus says, simple. Keep the commandments. The guy says, great. I kept them since I was a boy. Jesus says, fantastic. Do one other thing. Knowing that he was very wealthy. Translated, knowing that he loved being very wealthy. Knowing that he loved himself very much. Knowing that he loved to be comfortable in his bed at night. Knowing that he didn't want to give up his nice car and his coat, couch and his boat. Do one thing. Have a garage sale, sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. That's it. You'll have everlasting life, eternal life. And the guy says, that's it, I'm out of here. I am out of here. Why? Because he said that he kept the commands, but he didn't. What he didn't do is he didn't love his neighbor as himself. He did not love his neighbor as himself. Hey, if he was stinking dirt poor in Malawi, Africa, and a rich guy with all kinds of rich stuff sold all his stuff and sent him a check in the mail or wired it to his bank so that he could buy some beans for his family to eat that day and buy a hunk of plastic to put over the thatch that blew off and some rich guy did it, don't you think what he did to me, I would love for him to do to me. If the rich guy was in Malawi and the Malawian was, had all the stuff, wouldn't he love it if the guy sold all his stuff and gave it to him? Yeah, but he wouldn't do it. And so it tests the very integrity of our spirituality. My unwillingness to do that proves that I don't love my neighbor as myself. You see why I'm not preaching any more messages on this and you got to figure out how to solve it? <laughs> So how do you do this? Here's what we have to be. You, 
rolling through your mind has to be the complete, utter inadequacy that I have to fulfill this teaching. I can't do this. I don't have enough love inside me. And just like if I go out of here, I'm going to do this. Whatever I would have them do to me, I'm going to do to them. And it's going to last about four and a half hours at the most in your own strength. It's going to last about as long as your effort to lose 20 pounds in the next three weeks. I told Janet the other day, I think it was last Sunday. I said, yeah, I had some sweets at night. And I said, this week I'm cutting back on sugar. She asked me, how'd you do? So I did pretty good. I did pretty well. I said, well, what about, at, you, you said that you had that ice cream at so-and-so's house and they served you cheesecake. And, and then at 55 Alive, I saw that complete plate of desserts that you picked up. And the other day you had those peanut M&Ms out. And it's like, and then I realized, oh yeah, every day I did pretty bad. <laughs> I had a whole bunch of stuff. So I'm no good at that. I'm no good at pulling myself up by my bootstraps. I start out, I'm going to do this. It lasts about three hours. That's it. It's going to be the same way. You can't keep the golden rule. Everybody go home. That's it. <laughs> so it's got, to be, it's got to be driving us crazy on the inside. What do I do? Listen, the short of it is, it starts with the first part, right? You've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart. And you cannot love your neighbor as yourself if you don't love the Lord your God with all your heart. And you can't even love the Lord your God with all your heart. You just make up your mind and flip a switch and love the Lord your God with all your heart. The whole thing is designed to show us that we can't do it. You can't do this. The only way it begins to begin to work and make sense is when you go to the cross. You got to go to the cross. Because at the cross is where I take my slimy, selfish soul that would rather be in the dungeon bench-pressing than out at Red Lobster with my beautiful wife for my own comfort on a Saturday night. And I take my selfishness and I lay it down and I acknowledge in all humility that it is sin. And that I am a dirtbag. And that I have broken the law. And, and if you've broken it in one place, you've broken it in every place. The chain is broken. And you can't fix it. But God is a loving Heavenly Father who gives good things to those who ask. And He said, I have just what you need. I have my Son who keeps the law for you, who kept the law once and for all, and He went to the cross and He paid the price in my holy eyes for all of your slimy scum failures. And I can put it down there. And I become righteous in Christ. This is the starting point. It's the starting point. And positionally, as a new man in Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. And I begin to walk in a new level of sanctification. And I don't do well every time. Now in God's eyes, I'm perfect once for all. He's also at work convicting me of sin, that if I confess my sin, He's faithful and just to forgive me of my sin. But you know what begins to happen as a new man in Christ? One of the most important things about me. I begin to care. I at least care. And I say to myself, the way you just did was wrong. And, and, and not loving your neighbor was wrong. 
and not treating them in the way that you wish they would treat you. That was wrong. God, forgive me and begin to show me and grow me and let the love of Christ permeate out and ooze out of my life so that my moral compass is now guided. And I have this way of defining the realities of my life through the lens of the golden rule. And it's not me mustering up some kind of a self-help, life coaching, revolutionary process of becoming a cooler person. It is me just recognizing that I can't do this. But as Christ begins to show in me, little by little, completed only at my glorification in His presence someday, I live the golden rule. So you can't do this if you're not in Christ. I beg of you to come to the cross. Transforms your life. It's at the cross where God met man. God at His finest. Man at His worst. God doing for us what we can't do for ourselves, taking away our sin, obliterating it, having no record of it, cast as far away as the east is from the west, buried in the deepest part of the sea. He remembers it no more. And he credits all of the righteousness of Christ, keeping the law and living out the golden rule. And he, and he says, it's the same as if Van did it. I really don't get that, but I love it. That's what it means to be saved. That's what it means to be a child of God. To come to the cross and admit your sinfulness and receive once and for all, by grace, through faith, this undeserved gift of salvation that God makes you His child and He begins to conform you into His image. And then you begin to live out the golden rule. For real. Not for fake. Let's pray. Father, we need You. And we need you to convict us. We need you to show us how this fits together in everyday life. We live in a world that is overwhelmed with need. And we have neighbors all around the globe who need us to live out the golden rule. So give us a discernment and a wisdom and a wake-up call. But Father, if there's those who need to come to the cross today and be saved and find newness of life in Christ, would you please work in them? that we would have a genuine spiritual authenticity and not just some self-help program here that fails time and again. Convict us and show us how to live courageously in this world, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.